1 Samuel chapter 2, as we continue in our study today through the book of 1 Samuel. Now, by way of introduction, how many of you on Facebook, there's a, there's a video of a, of a guy who's dressed up like a cowboy, um, and he's, he's all painted to look like a statue. Has any, any of you seen that video? I am the only one who apparently has too much time on my hand. Well, you, there's this guy, he's dressed up like a statue, he looks just completely, you know, amazing, and, and of course, so he, what he'll do is he'll go to different places, whether it's, you know, Universal City Walk, or, or whether it's, you know, outside at the Third Street Promenade, or, you know, any, you know, Grauman's Chinese Theater, wherever, he goes to these different public places, sets out a, a you know, bucket there for tips, he's looking to make money, that's the way he's doing it, doesn't do it just for your entertainment, um, but um, apparently none of you are entertained by it anyway. But anyway, he, he sets up and he, and, he, and he does this thing to where he, he just holds really still, looking like statue, and then he'll make a dramatic move and then he'll hold again. And people are mesmerized by it. Well, so the video is going and the guy's going through his routine. And there is just this knucklehead who is tormenting this guy. And he's all getting up in his face, he's trying to distract him, and he goes behind him, and he actually, he starts pushing the guy and hitting the guy. Well, then he sticks his, his finger in his mouth and goes to give him a wet willy. Now, for me, I would lose it right there. And at this point, as he did it, you know, the, guy, the guy's standing there like a statue, and, and this guy coming around, he comes around to the, to the guy's face, he does this wet willy. Well, at this point, this cowboy has had enough. He flat lays this guy out. It is the coolest thing in the world. All you guys are going to be searching for it now. You're going to be going on YouTube. Cowboy, looks like statue. It's worth it. You're welcome. <laughs> lays the guy flat out. Okay, by way of introduction, hold that in mind. Keep in mind as we continue in 1 Samuel that the events are taking place during a transition in Israel's history. And what's happening, they're transitioning from the time of the judges to the time of the kings and prophets, and it's a time when everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. And, and sadly, this included the religious leaders in general, and it included the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas in particular. Now, Eli, he held the highest office in Israel at the time. Uh, he was serving both as a, a priest and as a judge. Um, and his sons, who serve under him as priests, they are out of control. And so the dynamic that we see here uh, as we conclude uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 today, the dynamic at work is that like this cowboy, God has had quite enough. Thank you very much. You ever been there, dads? Where you've had it up to here, you're like, everybody out of the pool and line up because you're all getting a spanking, you know? You have enough at some point. And this is the place where God's at. He has had an absolute, he's had enough. And this is where, um, you know, God's got to deal with Hophni and Phinehas. And the big idea of the message today, you might want to just jot it down, it's faithfulness. Faithfulness. The dictionary defines faithfulness this way. It says uh, faithfulness is a thorough adherence to a standard. A thorough adherence to a standard. And as God's children, there is no higher standard than God's will. Right? That is the absolute highest standard in our life is the will of God. And so biblical faithfulness, by definition, it is the act of consistently living out your faith. Obediently putting feet on your faith. This is why we pray every week. Lord, let us not be hearers only, but let us be doers of your word. We want to be faithful. We want to be found faithful. We want to consistently live out our faith. Now, Jesus describes this exact same thing. When he's describing what faithfulness looks like, he talks in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25, uh, and it, it's what we know as the parable of the talents. And, and here is Jesus, as he, as he introduces it, he says this. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And now he goes on to tell this parable. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus now telling this parable, this earthly story, with heavenly implications, trying to describe what the kingdom of God is, what it's all about. 
And, and as he describes it, he basically says, look, there's these three stewards that this, that this master calls to himself, and three stewards that he delivers the, his goods to, and, and uh, they're known as talents. And so what we see is that the first steward was given five talents, the second was given two talents, and the third steward was given one talent, and subsequently upon the master's return, he wanted to hold them accountable, what did you do with the talents that I gave to you? How faithful were you? That's the question. Now, what we find is, as Jesus goes through the story is that the servants, the stewards, they fell into one of two categories. They were either found faithful or they were found unfaithful. And the unfaithful was cast out into outer darkness. This is a picture of hell. And, and the, the, the faithful... Well, no, they, they weren't cast out. Here's what they heard. They heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And this is what every Christian should aspire to hear. Every Christian should be pressing for that tape of the finish line. And this is the tape that we would hear from the lips of our Lord, well done, thou good, faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Now, the point is simply this, that faithfulness is pretty important. Faithfulness is hugely important. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus, by this parable of of the the talents and the, the faithful stewards and the unfaithful stewards, well, the point he makes is that if we are unfaithful and if we are found unfaithful, that the the literal difference between those found faithful and those found unfaithful is literally life and death, eternal life and death. It hangs in the balance. And so the lesson that we're going to look at today is critically important. Here's what we're going to focus on today as we finish First uh, Samuel chapter 2. We're going to focus on the contrast between faithfulness and unfaithfulness in the sons of Hannah and the sons of Eli. We're going to contrast the two. We're going to look at the contributing cause of unfaithfulness in the son, sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas, and we're going to look thirdly at the consequences of unfaithfulness to Eli and to his sons for their unfaithfulness. So we're going to begin with the contrast between faithfulness and unfaithfulness, and uh, we're going to start off by examining the unfaithfulness of Eli's sons. Second Samuel chapter 2, picking it up in verse 12, where we read, now the sons of Eli were corrupt they did not know the Lord. Now, that, that word corrupt, if you wanted to circle that, nearby you could write this. You could write sons of Bilal, or if you don't know how to spell that, don't worry about it. Just write sons of Satan. That's what it means. And, and just in case we didn't get the picture, look, you're no son of God. You're a son of Satan. He, he completes the sentence by saying, they did not know the Lord. Now, here's the deal, and this is critically important. Faith is very much a personal decision and an individual choice. Let me say that again. Faith is very much a personal decision, and it's an individual choice. And, and, and even though their father, Eli, he, he held the highest position in, in Israel... He, 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 a, a, a very high religious position. He, a, a, a believer in God, a follower of God. And even though Eli knew the Lord, that knowledge wasn't passed on genetically to his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They had to know the Lord for themselves. Now, you know where I'm going with this, right? Listen, your children, my children, they need to know the Lord for themselves, Absolutely so critically important that our kids are, are raised to make individual decisions for Christ, to have a personal relationship of their own. They can't ride on your coattails into heaven. They have to have their own personal faith. This is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I get so upset, and you guys know if you've been here for any length of time, this is one of my soapbox issues, um, and, and, and yet... I cringe every time that I see a family take their child and, and place their child on this pillar of, you know, 
almost idolatry it, to, to the point to where, hey, we're going to, what, it's all about the child. And so if the child is in sports and it happens to regularly conflict with, with church on Sunday, well, you know what, it's just a season, and so we are going to, well, we're going to take, we're going to make sports be the thing that, that, that he's doing, or we're going to make this, you know, whatever, extracurricular curricular pursuit be the thing that, that we, you know, commit to. And I cringe at that because here's the thing. What you're doing when you do that is you send the message to that child that there are other things more important than God. And you might say, oh, you know, Pastor Ted, come on, give it a break. I mean, kids, they they know the difference. I'll tell you, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. We, we just had a barbecue yesterday with several of our growth group leaders just to, to kind of go over some of the stuff. And, and in the course of our conversation with, with a few of the people we were talking about, just what we've seen over the years. My kids, the other day, they, they had an event. They had to call babysitters for, uh, for, for their children, for my grandchildren. And they, they happened to be here in town. And the people that were babysitting my grandchildren were, were, were kids that my kids used to babysit. And you talk about, you know, just how things go around. You go, well, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. I've been around long enough to know, and I know personally, the children of those who have said, hey, listen, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to blow off church, and it's, it's all, everything's going to be, you know, sacrificed on the altar of softball. Everything's going to be sacrificed on the altar of soccer. Everything's going to be sacrificed on the altar of fill in the blank. I've been around long enough to know intimately, personally, the families that have done that with their kids. And I will tell you, I've seen a number of them when they become adults, they fall away. And this is another thing that just works me where church is concerned. Something that I notice and I see that among our members, I will see uh, from time to time those with teenage children who they let their teenage children dictate and determine whether they're going to come to church or not. And they say, well, I'm not going to force them to go to church. I'm like, well, you force them to go to school? You do, right? You don't let your child say, well, I don't, I'm not going to go to school now. You don't, you don't allow that. Why do you allow it with church? Well, I, I don't want to have them grow up hating church. Wrong. Lame. You, you tell that kid, look, you need, you need to get into church. It's, you're going to live under my roof. You're going to go to church. See, the, the thing is, is that the Bible exhorts us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is an exhortation. The church is a creation of God, not men. The church is where we gather together and where, you know, the Bible says two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. For if one falls down, the other will lift him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to lift him up. And so the church is a place where we need one another, we need to band together, we need to exhort one another, we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, so critically important. And I'm telling you that this, this is, you know, this crucial thing, all for the purpose of we need to raise our kids to, to be the place where their faith becomes their own. When, when, when your child is a, chi- is, a, is a child, it's your faith that's being imparted to them, but there reaches a point in time where their, your faith has to become their faith. David Guzik said this. He says, it can be a difficult thing for a child to come to a true, genuine knowledge of the Lord when they have grown up in a Christian home. They just kind of assume they know the Lord because mom and dad do, but young people need to have a passionate commitment to knowing the Lord for themselves. Knowing about the Lord isn't enough. We must know him ourselves in a personal relationship. Well, Hophni and Phinehas, they don't know the Lord. And yet, it, interestingly, back in chapter 1, verse, verse 3, it tells us there that they were priests. You're like, what's up with that? You know, they don't know the Lord and yet they're priests. Well, here's what's going on. They, fathered, they followed their father into the family business but, but they haven't followed him in his faith. They followed him into a business, into a vocation, but they haven't followed him in his faith. Verse 13, let's, let's look at these corrupt men. It says, and the priest's custom, speaking of Hophni and Phinehas, with the people was that when any man um, offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant, his assistant, 
uh, would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling, and then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would, here's the key, take for himself. I have that underlined in my Bible. The priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up, and so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now remember, Shiloh, this is the place where the tabernacle is set up. It it precedes the temple. This is where all of the the, the followers of the Lord would go to worship him, to bring their sacrifices in in an offering of praise to God. This is required of them in in their religion and and in, in the law. And they're bringing these sacrifices as God has commanded. And what's happening there is they're getting shaken down. And so we see that they come and they do this thing. Now, it's an unbiblical practice what's transpiring. Now, here biblically in, in uh, Exodus 29 and Leviticus 7, uh, it says that um, the, the priest is supposed to receive a portion of what they would bring in, in terms of the meat for sacrifice um, and that the, this was part of, of the priest's compensation for their work. This is the way the Lord provided for the priest to serve him. Um, and so they would, according to biblical law, they, they would get the breast and the shoulder portion of the meat um, and that's what was allotted to them by God. But what's happening here is these priests, Hophni and Phineas, they got their guys going down, and they, hey, when the meat's there, get, get, the, get the hook and get it, man. Get it, get it for me. It gets worse. Verse 15, also before they burned the fat. Now, here's what you got to know. For us, we cut the fat off and we give it to the dog or we throw it away. They, in their culture, they thought and saw the fat as being the most flavorful, the, the most choice part of the meat. This was typically the portion of the meat that was reserved for God because, because it was so precious and, and so, so important. And so... Um, Verse 15, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. Uh, A couple of things going on here. One, is it possible that they're like, I don't want my meat boiled, I want it barbecued. Well, I mean, so do I. So, you know, yeah, that could be it. Um, Here's probably more likely what's going on. These guys, they got, they got meat coming out their ears. They're, they're making merchandise, everyone. They're getting, you know, more than their share. And so not only do they have enough to eat, but they want more to be able to sell. It's kind of hard to sell boiled meat, so they want the raw meat so they can go down to the, you know, the thing and, and sell and make a profit on what these people are offering to the Lord. Verse 16, And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, and then you may take as much as your heart desires. In other words, the guy's going to put up a protest and go, look, I'm honoring God here. I'm worshiping God. I'm making my offering to God, and, and, and what you're going to do is you're going to rob from that, and that defiles what I'm doing, and I don't want to be a part of that, and that grieves my heart. And look, let me just offer to God. Let me just give to God, and then help yourself. Do whatever you're going to do. That's on you. And uh, so this is what they say. Now, if anybody said that to him, listen, he would say, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Now, imagine, you're coming to church, you come to Reliance Church, and, and, and you know, we got Knuckles and Guido at the door to greet you here, and they're shaking you down, man. One's got one foot, one's got the other. They're shaking, seeing what comes out. You know, they're working you over. This is, this is the picture here. They're like, look, we want it. We want it all. And if you won't give it to us, we're going to mug you for it. So uh, verse 17, therefore, the, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, you think? Very great before the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Men abhorred the offering of the Lord. In other words, they hate it going to church. Just, just as you can imagine, if Guido's knuckles were here, you know, you guys would hate coming to church. Like, I hate going to that church. Every time I go there, I get mugged. I get worked over. I get, you know, taken, taken advantage of. And so... Uh, 
this is a very great sin as far as God's concerned because he's like, it's not bad enough that you're stealing from me, but you're turning my people away from me. You're making them in their hearts not want to come and worship me. So they, ab- they abhorred the offering of the Lord. But, verse 18, Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. And what we have here, we have a stark contrast. We've got the, the, the Bible now picturing and, and, and giving for us this contrast between what faithfulness looks like and what unfaithfulness looks like. We just took a really good look at what unfaithfulness looks like with Hophni and Phinehas, and now the Bible takes a sharp right-hand turn, and it's going to say, now look, you want to see what faithfulness looks like? Uh, let's, look, let's look at Hannah's son. Let's look at, let's look at uh, Samuel. See, because Hophni and Phinehas, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. But what we see is Samuel is clothed in priestly apparel. It says there in verse 18 that he ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Now the ephod, picture an apron, it, that, it's kind of like that. And, and it's a priestly garment, and, and, and that's, you know, the idea here is that you've got, you've got this priestly garment that, that you know, this, this child, Samuel, is, uh, is wearing. So you've got the sons of Eli mugging the people, and you've got the son of Hannah ministering to the Lord. The book of Proverbs says this, even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. Moreover, verse 19, and we continue to look at what's going on with Samuel, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Isn't that cute? Make him this little robe. My, uh, my wife, her, her family is uh, half Scottish and half Irish. Her dad born in Scotland, her mom born in Ireland. Uh, family dinners are sometimes interesting, um, all that that implies. Um, but one of the things that we would do culturally as a family growing up is we go to the Scottish games. Lots of fun. And uh, we would buy my son, Scotty, uh, a little kilt, you know, every year. Brenda would get it for him, and she'd put him, he'd be dressed up in his, in his little kilt. It was just so cute. And that's kind of this idea, this picture I have. Um, so uh, Hannah, you know, she used to make him this little robe. She'd bring it up, and it's a priestly robe. It's a priestly garment. That's important. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. Um, and she came up uh, with her husband, to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli, verse 20, would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given. Remember last week that Hannah couldn't have children. Beg the Lord, give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you. This is Samuel, the child that she promised she would dedicate to the Lord. God working on Hannah's heart, getting her to the place where her will aligns with his will because he's got great plans for this child, needing to get her there. And now, you know, she's coming and they're worshiping the Lord and they're, they're still, even though they're, they've dedicated you know, little Samuel to the Lord and he's there at the temple and being raised in that place. They're still very much involved in his life. This figures prominently in what we're about to talk about, but this is the picture that's going on. Still very much, you know, trying to be involved in his life and, and, and all and very much working to shape him in this godly direction. Eli sees this and he's, you know, blessing them and and he's petitioning the Lord, Lord, give them more descendants. Give them more children. This is, this is the idea. And... Uh, Give, them, uh, give this woman for, for, the, um, for the loan that was given uh, to the Lord. And then they, at the end of verse 20 there, would go to their own home. Verse 21, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now, in this contrast between the unfaithful sons of Eli and the faithful son of Hannah, I want you to notice here that both are raised in the same environment. Um, They're both raised there at the temple. Hophni and Phinehas raised in this environment. Samuel being raised in this environment. But, man, will you notice that even though they were both raised in the same environment, there were two very different outcomes between these, these two sets of kids, right? 
can't you see that there's a, there's a dramatic contrast there? What made the difference? This is really important. Listen, faithfulness is so much more than just a product of our environment. Our environment is important. The environment we put our kids into is very important. Brenda and I were very careful about the schools that our kids attended, the friends that they kept. The Bible says, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good character. And so we were very careful about that. Environment is huge, but it's not just environment alone. The, 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 the faithfulness is not just about the, the, the product of the environment. Rather, faithful is also a product of engagement, of a parent's engagement. And so faithfulness is a product of the environment, yes, but it's also a product of engagement. What am I talking about when I say engagement? I'm talking about exhortation. I'm talking about encouragement. I'm talking about education. I'm talking about example. I'm talking about emotion. I'm talking about the energy that you physically invest to, to be present, you know, both physically and mentally. Hey, there's a thought, mom and dad. Being completely engaged with your kids. And I want you to notice that Samuel, basically, he's receiving all of these things from his parents. We see Hannah clothing him with a priestly robe, and, and, and also, most likely, it talks about him wearing the ephod, this priestly uh, apron, this priestly garment, and it's most likely that Hannah made that too. And so, here she is, she's a mom clothing her child, clothing him in the garments of this holy lifestyle. But it goes much more than that. Metaphorically, how are Hannah and her husband, how are they clothing this child? Metaphorically, what we see is, is she's also clothing him with encouragement. She's engaged in his life. There's, there's an, 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 a level of emotion there. In other words, her heart is with this child. She loves him with all of her heart. We see, uh, again, her, her husband, Elkaniah, also, metaphorically, he's clothing this child by setting an example. Listen, we're going to come up regularly to Shiloh to worship. I'm setting that example for my son. He's, he's giving him an education of, look, this is what a godly man does. This is how a godly man behaves. This is how a godly man treats women, and we're going to see that's very critically important when we see the stuff that, that Hophni and Phinehas are engaged in. Just, just horrible stuff. And, and so he's saying, look, I'm giving you this example. I'm giving you this education. And listen, he's, 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 he's got the energy that he's investing into this child. Even though they dedicated this child to the Lord, still, you know, going into the energy of, yes, my wife's going to clothe him. She's going to make stuff for him. We're going to go up. We're going to worship the Lord at Shiloh. I'm going to be invested. I'm going to be engaged. And conversely, I want you to notice the contrast between Hannah and Elkaniah and what they do with Samuel, and Eli, and what he does with Hophni and Phinehas. Verse 22, we continue. It says, now Eli was very old. Now, let me just say this real quickly, okay? Eli was very old. Um, Brenda and I, we, we, we now have six grandchildren. Um, we're not satisfied. We want more. Um, and uh, we, we think it's godly. We told our kids, be fruitful, multiply, go, you know, obey the Lord. Um, but we have six grandchildren, and you know the saying, if I'd have known having grandchildren was this great, I'd have had them first, you know? Now, one of the cool things about grandchildren is that you can enjoy them, you spoil them rotten, and then when they melt down, what do you do? Honey, kids need you, right? You're done. Okay, we're good. And, and one of the things we noticed, Brenda and I, we just, we watched a few of the kids, we, we just like a while back, just a few weeks ago or whatever it was, and... Um, and we, we, we got to the end of it, and their parents came and picked them up, and we dropped in the chair. We both looked at each other exhausted. We're like, we're too old for this, man. They just, I mean, we were worn out. So, so keep that in mind. Eli is very old, all right? So, you know, his capacity to be available and engaged with his sons, uh, you know. <laughs> so, now his sons are adults at this point, Okay. But he's very old. Keep that in mind. So, so by inference, the man was old when his kids were younger. Okay? He was already tired, is what I'm saying. Where it goes to speaking of engagement. We'll come back to that. So <clears throat> Eli's very old, Eli's very old and, and, he, and he heard everything his sons uh, did to all of Israel. Underline that word heard. We'll come back to that. And, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door. Now that word assemble, it's, literal, it's uh, interesting, literally means to fall in rank. 
the inference here is that these were women that were coming up to the temple to do some sort of, of function. They had a responsibility at the temple. And so what's happening is these guys are sexually taking advantage of these women and, and they're using their position of authority to manipulate these, these women. And so they lay with them. They had sex with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. These are women that have a job to, to they're at the tabernacle and these guys, you know, are, are, are laying with them. They're taking advantage of them sexually. And, uh, <coughs> Verse 23, so he, that's Eli, said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. These are weak words. Why are you doing that? Why? why? You know, and, and so, you know, uh, in the book of Daniel, it talks about, you know, in the end times, there's going to be, you know, a bunch of, of, of Government, governmental forces, you know, different nations that come against Israel. And uh, what you see is the, the nations that aren't involved at that point, they're like, you know, they're just sort of weak, uh, weakly, weak words going, what, what, what are you doing this? Have you come to take a, a plunder? The, the, the Bible doesn't speak about them, inter, you know, getting engaged and to stop this thing. It speaks of, of a weakness of the, all of the nations that kind of sit back on their hands while this takes place. And so here, here's this weak language. Why, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear uh, you make the Lord's people uh, transgress. Verse 25, one man uh, sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Now, you read that and you go, well, that doesn't sit right with me. When I read the Lord desired to kill them, I mean, you have maybe in your mind's eye this picture of, you know, here you got poor Hophni and Phinehas. They really want to repent, but God wants to kill them and so they can't repent. That's not the dynamic here at all. It's not what's going on. God desires to kill them because in their heart of hearts, they have absolutely no desire to repent. They have absolutely no intention to turn to the Lord. And so that is why God desires to kill them. He wants to judge these men. And, and you know, fathers, put yourself in that position. I mean, you know, we, 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 we prayed over, the, over Jesse, this little girl going off to college, She's going to, you know, get an education to serve the Lord. Imagine if some guy, as she's seeking to, you know, get her education, he, he you know, victimizes her sexually. You're going to want to kill that guy? Yeah, and Hophni and Phinehas are wicked, evil. God wants to kill them. This is, this is the idea. This is what's going on here, that the Lord definitely desired to kill them. Now, what we have here, we've, we've seen not only uh, the contrast between faithfulness and, other, and unfaithfulness, but what I want to look at now is the, the contributing cause of unfaithfulness. The contributing cause of unfaithfulness. Now, I've, I've worded it this way because are, are Hophni and Phinehas responsible for their sin? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely, right? Does their father have a contributing role in their sin? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And that's the thing I want to look at. We're looking at the contributing cause of unfaithfulness in the sons of Eli. And he says there again, verse 22, that Eli was very old. I, I just, maybe it's reading too much into it. I don't think, the, think so. I think he's got no energy. I think as it pertains to being a father who's, who's hot on it, father who's engaged, that's the word, that's the idea in his kid's life, he, he's, he's tired, he's old. Not so much anymore. Uh, verse 22, we also read there that he heard these things about his kids. Here's what I take from that. Eli was out of touch. Other people had to tell him what's going on. He didn't know himself. And I, Brenda and I deal with this all the time. We'll, you know, we'll see something that's going on. Brenda will go on you know, some kid's Facebook. She's like, ah! oh my gosh, she'll call her mom. Hey, are you aware? Mom doesn't have a clue. She can't buy a vowel. She doesn't, you know, it's like she's just not, not engaged. You know, and so the thing is, look, if I'm finding this stuff, Brenda, with our kids, she, and I'm throwing her under the bus a little bit here, but man, she was 
every, she, was, she gathered every bit of information she could. You want to talk about engaged? She knew everything that was going on with, with those kids. And so here, you know, we, we see, man, Eli, man, he's, he seems to be out of touch. Here's, and I think that's a fair assessment. Here's why I could say that. Hophni and Phinehas and their thugs, they're shaking down the, the people as they come to the tabernacle to worship the Lord. They're sexually defying the women who assembled at the tabernacle, coming to serve God. They're stealing from God. They, 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 they're just flat out taking what should be his. And they're causing people to abhor the offering to God. And Eli, take note of this, he didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue. Everyone else knew. Verse 23, you know, it's like all the people are coming to him, but Eli didn't notice until all the people came. He was, he was just out of touch. I saw a, uh, a story on uh, Reddit. I won't ask you if you guys saw it because apparently I'm the one that looks at all this stuff. But I saw a story on Reddit. It actually made the news this week. There was a guy decided he was going to treat himself uh, to, to a treat from Burger King. I don't know if you want to treat yourself while you go to Burger King, but he did. And uh, so he's standing in line at Burger King. Well, they're, they're training some trainee, and so it's dragging on and on. And now he's been in line for five minutes, and they just, she's, you know, line shows no sign of progressing. Uh, trainee's not coming up for air. He's like, oh, my gosh. Well, I've got, now I'm invested. Five minutes. I'm staying. I'm going to get what I want. Well, at about the five-minute mark, this mom comes in. She's on the phone, totally not paying attention to her kid. Her kid is playing some electronic game, and he's, he's cussing, and he's yelling, and he throws the game every time. It doesn't, you know, work the way he wants it, and he's, you know, using profanity, and uh, he, he starts talking to his mom. Well, she's on the phone. She's not paying attention. She's, she's, she's clueless. And so now he's yelling at his mom, I want a pie! I want a blankety-blank pie! And some of you have experienced this in public where you see a kid and you're thinking, somebody needs to spank that kid, man. You know, and you get to the point where it's like, I have to leave. I'm going to go to jail if I stay here any longer because, because by God, somebody's got to spank that kid, you know. And so this is what's going on. The kid's, you know, he's, he's, he's cussing and he's yelling. So this guy turns around to the mom and he, and he says, as, and, as, as politely as he can, now he's telling the story, so, you know, you've you got to take his word for it. But he says, I said as politely as I could, Ma'am, will you please pay attention to your child? Could you please control your child? Well, he said, she went off. She starts screaming at him about how he doesn't know about child rearing and he's got no business telling her what to do with her kid. So he turns around. He says, she's still yelling at the back of my head. And so he said, I just turned around. I said, okay. So he's still yelling at my mom, I want a blankety-blank pie. And she says to him, oh, honey, child, I'm going to get you a pie. As soon as we get up there, baby, I'm going to get you a pie. He says he waits in line about five more minutes. He gets up to the counter. He said, I bought every pie they had in that restaurant. And the story gets better. He says he started leaving. He's got 26 pies. That's how many they had. And he says he, he, he got to the door and he heard the lady losing it at the counter. What do you mean you don't have any more pies? Who bought the pies? Well, he turns around and sees the checker pointing at him, and he says, at that point, he said, I couldn't help myself. I reached into the bag, I took out the pie, and I just went, I took a big old bite of that pie. God, I wish I was there. I wish somebody got that on video. This mom didn't have a clue. And that's what's going on, really, with Eli and his sons. He doesn't have a clue. So we read in verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli. Now underline that. The Bible says it's an enemy that multiplies kisses, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And what an, and this is awesome. I think it's so cool that they don't name the guy. He's just a man of God. This is, this is a guy who loves the Lord, and he's like, look, Eli, because I love you, I'm going to tell you something hard. So a man of God comes to Eli and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? He's talking about Aaron. You, you read this in Exodus. And <clears throat> Eli's descendant. Eli's a descendant of Aaron. He says, um, 
did, verse 28, did, did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? In other words, this wearing of the ephod, it was this priestly garment, and it was worn for glory and for beauty. It was, the priest was to be a representation of the glory and beauty of God. And, and he says, uh, not only did, did, I, did I call that, he says, and did, did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Again, the priest's responsibility was to be a steward of these offerings. And of course, he's saying this in, in, in light of all of the shenanigans that, that, that Hophni and Phinehas are doing. He says, verse 29 why do you kick at my sacrifice? Now, he says you. He's talking to Eli. He lumps him right there in with his kids. Why? Well, because Eli failed Hophni and Phinehas in at least a couple of different ways. He failed them as a father, and he failed them as, as a boss. I mean, he was, you know, really, the, as priests, he was the boss over them. Now, maybe I'm being a little hard on uh, Eli here, and there are those that probably would tell me that I am, but... God didn't. God held him accountable. God thought he was culpable here. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offerings, which I've commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? You might want to underline that. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. He says you honor your sons more than me. Look, here's the bottom line. This underlines all the contrast between Samuel, Hannah's son, and between Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that Eli honored his children more than God and made him weak and has made his sons have no respect for him. See, listen, Eli's sons needed him to be engaged. They needed his exhortation, his encouragement, his education, his example, his motion, his energy. Hey, here's a thought. Some established boundaries, right? This is what they needed from their father. But he seemed to be disengaged. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, are you you engaged or disengaged with your kids? Do you honor your children more than God? Does the whole world revolve around your child? Do you take, this one's going to hurt, do you take the path of least resistance with your kids? In other words, whatever keeps them happy is what they get. I used to deal with this with my kids all the time. We talk about, look, I'm not so much interested in your happiness, hon. I'm interested in your holiness. Bottom line. Because I know if I raise you to be holy, the happiness part's going to take care of itself because you're going to discover something much greater than happiness. If you are holy unto the Lord, you're going to discover joy. Happiness is temporal, joy is eternal. Proverbs 22:15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And I love this, Proverbs 23, 13 says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. (laughs) The Lord prescribes a spanking, baby. Well, we've seen the contrast between faithfulness and unfaithfulness, between the son of Hannah and the sons of Eli. We've seen the contributing cause of unfaithfulness and the sons of Eli, let's look finally at the consequences of of unfaithfulness to Eli and his sons. Verse 30, it says, therefore the Lord God of Israel, this is this godly man talking to him, he's like, look, you had a much richer inheritance than than what what your loser sons are doing. Verse 30, therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever, but now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Now, this isn't literal. He's not literally going to cut off his arm. The arm is, a, is figurative. It's speaking of his, of his strength. 
Okay, he says, I'm going to cut off your strength. Verse 32, and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And we will see that in chapter 4. Verse 35, And then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed Forever. Now, who's he talking about? Well, in part, this was fulfilled by Samuel, but it ultimately finds its fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 36, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. He's going to bring judgment. And they're going to be in the place where they will realize and they will beg, man, can I serve as a priest in just a humble way? They seem to be all about the food and the money, and this is kind of interesting. This is what he says they're going to beg for is food and money. I want to just close, drawing your attention there in verse 30, where he says this. He says... um, those who honor me, I'll honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. New Living Translation uh, puts it this way. It says, I will despise those who think lightly of me. The idea basically is on the grand scale of things. Eli's sons, they weighed out, or rather they outweighed God in terms of Eli's heart. It was like, God, my sons, God, my sons. And, and Eli, he loved his sons more than God, basically. Every decision that Eli made, every compromise that Eli made, every conflict that Eli encountered, listen, it was ultimately decided not by God's word, but by his son's wines. But those who honor me, he says, I will honor. Great story about this particular section of scripture. Maybe you're aware of it. I don't know if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire. It's based on the 1924 Olympics in Paris, and you have a guy named Eric Lytle, uh, Little Lytle, I don't know how to pronounce it. At any rate, he was a committed Christian, ran for the nation of England, and uh, basically he withdrew from his strongest event, the 100-meter race, because the race took place on Sunday. And he felt convicted in his heart that, that he couldn't do that, and so he bowed out. He didn't run his strongest race. So as an alternative, he registered to run in the 400-meter race, which was not his race. Hadn't trained for that one, but he, they weren't racing on Sunday, and so that's the one that he, he entered to, to run. And just moments before the race, an American came up to him, and he handed him a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper was written for Samuel 2.30, those who honor me, I will honor. And so with that verse in his hand, he ran the race, he won the gold medal, and he set the, the new world record for it. And when Eric later described his race plan, here's what he said. He said, the secret of my success over the 400 meters is that I ran the first 200 meters as fast as I could. And then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I ran faster. Those who honor me, I'll honor. I want to share with you from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can turn there if you want. Um, Otherwise, you can just listen to me. This is how I want to close. But I want you to listen to the words of Moses to to his people. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. He says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
And skipping down Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 through 25, he continues, he says, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt. Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Us. Listen, the focus is on the children and our responsibility to instruct our children. Three questions for you to consider as we close. Number one, do you honor your children more than God? Take a walk with that this week. Do you honor them more than God? Second question, are you contributing to unfaithful behavior? Are you contributing to unfaithful behavior? Thirdly, are you engaged with your child's spiritual development? In other words, are you, are you getting them to the place where your faith becomes their faith? These are some sobering things. Hophni and Phineas had the opportunity to serve as faithful ministers of the Lord. This is, this is the part of this that just... I'm taking a walk with this week. And, and they didn't honor the Lord. He removed them. He replaced them. Scares me to death. We need to have the fear of the Lord. Listen, we will give an account to God. You will stand before the Lord and you will give an account. And you're going to give an account for your kids. 